From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, June 5th, 2019. We welcome in Danny Flecka to the telecast. Hello, sir. How's it going? We're going to start today off differently. I just got an email literally seconds before starting this about upcoming events at MetLife Stadium. They include... And, and you're going to tell me on a one-to-five scale of I would love to attend or I have no intention of intending what you would like to attend. The State Fair. No intention of attending, so it's zero. The New York Giants NBC4 Health and Fitness Expo where you get to do yoga and other athletic activities, tour the locker rooms and meet alumni. Real Madrid versus Ad- Ad- Atletico de Madrid. I'd probably go to that, you know, 2.5. Uh, Giants-Jets first preseason game. Zero. Uh, Giants-Bears preseason game. Zero. Jets-Saints preseason game. Zero. Uh, I think I see where this is going. Uh, what else did I forget out of this? Uh, Jets-Eagles preseason game. Zero. Okay. I, I like this game. Uh, something called the Cortaca Jug Ithaca versus Cortland on November 16th. Oh, that's, uh, that's like a Division three playoff, uh, football game. Uh, they're big rivals. I mean, that could be interesting. College football games are, are like... Those types of college football games are fun to go to, so I don't know if that might be like a cool venue for that, because it's like just so big and kind of intimate. Um, but I'm sure that could be fun if you're if you like some good football. Monster Jam. I'm assuming that's like a monster truck. So yes. Like zero. Yep, and dirt. Okay, that's a zero. The Rolling Stones No Filter Tour. They're still alive. Yes, they had to postpone some dates because of Mick Jagger's health. Uh, I'm going to go with the zero on that. Jets Eagles... Very good live nowadays. Jets Eagles fourth preseason game. Zero. Jets Bills first regular season game. The one o'clock kickoff? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the first game of the season is always a lot of fun to go to, right? You have a lot of yeah. hope and... Uh, I guess admiration for what your team can do, so you want to go and see them play. So I think I, if I was a Jets fan, it'd be a bit of four. Uh, the Army Navy game on December eleventh. That would be a five for me. That's one of those games that's like on my bucket list to go see. That that'd be a lot of fun. Actually, I have a typo. This is actually the twenty twenty one Army Navy game. So you have time to plan for that. Exactly. It's a, Army Navy is one of the great
Um, I am with you right there on that. And you forgot the other element, which is you have somebody very close to you who served. And uh, to be able to honor them and these people that are putting their bodies out there for a football game, and in Navy's case, routinely into a next bowl game, and then turning around and defending our country is just one heck of a thing to salute. For some reason, MetLife Stadium still has the Super Bowl page operational and open. It's 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 like a heritage thing. It's like make sure you remember that one of the worst Super Bowls that ever was played was there. Yes, literally one of the worst over in the first quarter, and that was that. Finally, Giants Bills, which is the first Giants uh, home game. September 15th is that game. All right. I texted you about this last night. What the no bleep are we doing in June with pontificators trying to anoint Daniel Jones as the Giants starting quarterback for week one? And I texted this to a friend uh, who's been working from home a lot lately and uh, watches ESPN. I said, is this what your life's like? And he basically said, yes, Uh, pretty much. Hot takeville. And I have full respect for Adam Shine. I like Adam Shine. Um, I think he's good at what he does. But isn't there other things to talk about than who the Giants quarterback is and how they judge OTAs and minicamp? Yeah, I mean, you're going to see this a lot from any high draft pick, especially a quarterback, you know, the ability to scrutinize them right off the bat, you know, take into consideration that they're practicing without pads and seven on seven, nothing's real, you know. And it's very easy to say, hey, Daniel Jones is this or he's that, and Eli is this or he's that, or this guy is this and he's that. You know, I'm not going to pass judgment on any of the players that I've seen drafted uh, in April uh, until they, they suit up and get out there on the field. And you got to think about this as like a new job. You know, when you're a regular employee, you're not really acclimated into, you know, I'm taking it from my own experience. I started a new job. Uh, last week. There's no way that I can say that I'm an expert in what it is that I'm doing for my company until I have the opportunity to really get in the weeds and then figure out what it is that I really need to get, you know, do. Whether that's learning new systems, learning who to go to, what, you know, all that kind of stuff. All that is part of an NFL job too, you know, learning the system, learning the playbook, building a routine, knowing, you know, making new friends, finding a place to live, you know, getting around, you know, even simple things like knowing where the grocery store is, you know, all that really goes into play here when, when you're, you know, taking these guys into consideration. People don't really think about that. So I'm not passing any judgment on this guy until I see him play. And even then I'm going to give him two or three years because it, it takes a while to get into a rhythm, figure out what it is you're going to be doing, figure out what needs to be done of you. So, you know, this guy can say that, you know, Daniel Jones made all the throws in college. Did this, did that, blah, blah, blah. And until he puts on that helmet in the regular season game 
and needs to face those types of situations that you can only replicate in the live game. I'm not going to say that Daniel Jones is the next great quarterback for the New York Giants. Do I hope that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a fan. I want them to be good. I want him to be good. I want my team to win. But there's no way of me knowing if that's going to be the case here in uh, June when he's out there with uh, no shoulder pads, isn't getting hit, and isn't having anybody come after him. Yeah, that that's a recipe for content farms um, to thrive. But I just no, you can't you can't anoint anyone that early. I do think seeing how injured players are bouncing back is useful. I do think evaluating players can be useful, with the caveat of what's different in those settings. But I do not get this whole rush to judgment about so and so is going to do whatever. Um, I want to ask you something, uh, speaking of football, but we're going to switch things here. The UEFA Nations League finals uh, are coming up. The semifinals and the finals. The semifinals are today and tomorrow. um, And the third and final game is on Sunday. Portugal played Switzerland today at 2.30. You probably know how that ended. I don't. Netherlands plays England uh, tomorrow in semifinal two. Uh, what is the significance of this tournament and this trophy? So I don't. I actually don't know what the result of today's game was. I completely forgot that it was on. Um, this is just like another tournament for uh, national teams to have more time together. Really, at the end of the day, you know, the calendar for national teams is usually uh, not a domestic, but you know, your nations. Uh, Cup tournament, whether it be Euros, CONCACAF, Gold Cup, uh, Copa America, Asia Cup, African Nations Cup, whatever it is, and then the World Cup. So in between there, you have sporadic friendlies, you have sporadic training sessions together, etc. This is just an opportunity for those national teams to be together a little bit more, build a little bit more cohesiveness, not have like those weird cycles where potentially you have you know a player be good one year and then in four years you know he loses form and then you don't know what to do with him or age, et cetera. We, we talked about the, the weird cycles that national teams usually have to face. So um, this is just an opportunity for more more exposure for players to have the opportunity to possibly play for their Nations League, keep their form from their domestic league going a little bit more into the season, you know, into the, into the summer. That way, you know, it allows for them to be uh, ahead of, the, of their competition when they get back to camp. And you know, showcase a lot of the talent that maybe we don't see a lot of. You know, the Premier League is the number one league in the world as far as, like, probably, you know, a domestic league and its viewership. But there's a lot of these players that you don't get to see play regularly. So we give the soccer fans the opportunity to see new people that could potentially be playing on their favorite domestic league teams, you know, come September. Uh, Portugal one three one. Take a wild guess at who scored. For I'm sure Ronaldo had one or two. He had all three at a hat trick. Twenty fifth minute, eighty eighth minute, ninetieth minute. And he just doesn't stop. He just is one of those players that is always on, always on. And you know, it's a shame he wasn't able to do a little more this year for Juventus. But they had a tough year and a weird year, and uh, they might have another one next year with a new coach. But he's going to always be good for goals, no matter what. And somebody, uh, last name Rodriguez, first initial R in the 57th minute on a penalty kick was the goal for Switzerland. You'd, you'd probably know who that person is. Yeah, I think it's like Ricardo Rodriguez. I think he played uh, for Wolfsburg, I want to say, in Germany. I will see what I can uh, 
find out for you here as we go along. All right, let's uh, switch gears here. Um, it was, yep, it was Ricardo Rodriguez, and Ricardo Rodriguez plays for... Bum, ba, da, 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 uh, ACM? He plays for AC oh, Milan. Yeah, it was good. Wolfsburg and Milan were going to be my two guesses. Yeah. I, I, went with, I think Wolfsburg was his prior team. You may be right. I, I, I don't know, but he is currently a member of AC Milan. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, uh, let's talk about uh, other things involving balls. And this one is basketball game three of the NBA Finals tonight. Series tied at one. Here's what I said to a Warriors fan this morning. If Clay Thompson plays, and uh, last check he was questionable and was a game-time decision, I will take a look right now and see if anything has changed on that front. I don't believe anything has. Um, nope. All right, so with that in mind, what I said is I'm not worried about losing him offensively or him being ineffective. It's, it's him defensively being ineffective. Because what happens then is it forces Steph and Clay to have to guard up on people, and it, sorry, 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 Steph and Draymond, and it could get them into foul trouble faster than they normally would if Clay was out there. And we know that Steph and Draymond have a have a knack for picking up stupid, silly fouls. I'm not worried about Andre Gudala. I think his health's okay. Looney's obviously out, which hurts their center depth. But for me, it comes down to Clay Thompson, not his shooting that you're losing, but his defense that you're losing. I'd agree. He doesn't get enough credit for the type of defensive player he is and how he really holds that team together on the defensive side of things. Um, it's going to be a tricky situation, I think, for him because I think at the beginning he's going to be all riled up and, you know, into the game, you know, the emotion of the home home crowd, um, you know, the adrenaline, etc. is going to really get him going at the beginning and then I think it's going to tail off. And now, and now he's really just hurting it out. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. Um, he's one of the most important pieces for them, I think, you know, uh, and they, they won without the ramp, they won without Draymond, they won without Curry, but now you're starting to lose the pieces that really make them what is, a, you know, a unique team, and that is, you know, guys like Durant and Clay. and don't underestimate Mooney's absence either, he's yeah. a very, very underrated piece of that team, you know, he gives them solid minutes, he, he's a factor on the force for them on the opposite side. Um, you know, he, he really holds that rotation in the middle down for them. So it's going to be interesting to see who Kerr goes to. Is he going to get more minutes to Bogan? Is he going to get more minutes to Bell? Is he going to mix and match? Is he going to play smaller? You know, what, what type of options is he going to go to on the bench? So, you know, don't underestimate Looney's absence tonight, too. I think that's a big key for them is to be able to get production from the people that they're going to be playing in that side spot. And whoever that is, then you're going to be asking maybe for production from some other people like a McKinney or a Quinn Cook or a Jonas Jarepko. So. And you're wondering how effective Quinn Cook can be after, I don't think most fans tuning in had heard of Quinn Cook. Obviously, Kerr went deep in the bench, but it really, in my mind, shows, or sorry, let me back up for a second. Um, I don't think a lot of people had heard of Quinn Cook, period. And then Quinn, Quinn, Quinn Cook puts on the display that he did late in that game. That's the question. Is, is, is this a one-shot deal? Or is Quinn Cook going to be that next key role player following what Iggy has done, following what Sean Livingston has done? Can he be that next piece that helps elevate them? And, and yeah. 
Yeah. And I think you, met, you mentioned one guy, I think, tonight that I have to give him a lot, and that is uh, Sean Livingston. You know, they could play smaller and put Draymond at the five, but if you have Livingston out there, you know, he's a really big body. He's a great rebounder. He's a big guard. He can get inside. He likes to post up. He doesn't shoot three, so he can space out the floor for you a little bit there. Um, you know, he's going to be an important part tonight, I think, and a big piece, you know, that will help them get over that hump of, of missing some people. He's good in transition. So, we'll see what happens. Yeah, he's honestly one of my favorite players to watch on that team because he's just so fundamentally sound. He does a lot of the things that a lot of those players don't do. So, it's going to be uh, a mix and match and, you know, really a performance tonight, I think, of, like, the role players from the from the Warriors because we've seen Steph be guarded real tough, you know, this, these playoffs. Draymond's had a good series so far, you know, almost two triple-doubles. He, he had, what, nine assists and nine rebounds the other night. Um, and he's been, you know, getting to the hole. He's pushing the pace. Um, if he can knock down some outside shots, that'd be a big great, great help for them. They, they aren't. He, he's left alone at the top of the key pretty much every possession, and he can't shoot. And he needs to make two or three, I think, tonight to really allow them to be successful on the offensive side. But then if you flip the script on Toronto, it's like if you have that opportunity to play these guys, uh, under man, you have to take advantage of it. And they didn't do it in game two. They did it in game one. Siakam went nuts. Um, weren't able to do it in game two. So are they going to be able to do it tonight in Oakland? And the other thing, too, um, is as you look at it, um, people forget that Sean Livingston was the person who saved Steph Curry from having a turnover and interception and a free run all the way down the court the other way um, on, on, on that last play, which gave Iggy the wide-open three. It was Sean Livingston's catch that made that all happen, and he doesn't get enough credit um, for that whatsoever. We're talking to Danny Flecker here on Teeing It Up. One last thing about the NBA Finals. You've had a broken collarbone. That's a serious issue. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you have had a hamstring strain. How much can adrenaline take you through that, and then when does it really become a problem for you? Yeah, so I'm not going to be one of those people that says, you know, I had this injury, this how long it took me to get back, et cetera. You know, I don't have the training around the clock or the right. medical staff, you know. But with any injury that you have, especially when it's like soft tissue, um, adrenaline does play a big part, you know. You, you, you get out there, you're amped up, you're ready to go, and then eventually that, that wears off. And then how you handle that is really what matters, you know. Even if Clay's playing tonight, even though he might come out and, and hit a couple shots to start off, I highly doubt he's going to be near 100%. You know, that was a weird like weird landing that he took the other night. Um, he seemed to be initially okay, but then, you know, again, you saw as it wore on that he was he was worse for the wear, had to get taken out, uh, looked like he was having a tough time walking. So I think the, the most important part for Clay is not – is not overextending yourself, you know, if you feel it tightening up, you know, getting out, getting the treatment that you need to get, stretching it out, um, you know, you might have to do some things that you're not used to doing, you know, whether it's taking it slower, uh, passing up a shot, not taking it to the rim, you know, his game has got to change just a little bit, so, you know, hamstring is a tricky injury, we've seen how it sidelines players for multiple weeks, months, you know, how players are never right, but uh, it, it's really going to be on how much he thinks he can handle, and I think as long as he's okay, he's going to be out there, but I don't know if he's going to be getting 40 minutes tonight. He's, he's probably going to be more around like the 30, 32-minute mark tonight. 
I agree with you. We're talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Um, all right, let's switch gears. Uh, let, let's do a 180 here and, and switch gears to hockey. This is a 2-2 series. Uh, go in the game uh, five tomorrow night. It's gone back and forth. We've had overtime games, I believe, now won by both teams, correct? Um, and uh, not just one, just game two. Sorry. Sorry, I, I, was, uh, I got something confused in my head. Um, and Zdeno Chara is hurt, which is not beneficial to Boston. Um, so you've watched a lot more of the series than I have. What's your read on the, on the landscape of this thing, 2-2, going back to Boston? Yeah, so it's been pretty simple. When the Bruins have won games one and three, the top line was uh, unstoppable. Um, they were dictating the game. They were getting shots. They were dumping the puck, cycling, getting, you know, power plays, scoring the power plays. And, you know, game four was going to be one of those games where the refs were going to hold their whistle a little bit, and they did. And the Bruins were able to get those power play opportunities. Um, they were slow to some pucks. They allowed, you know, they allowed St. Louis's. Um, defense, defenders like to get up in the play, and you know if you watch that game yesterday, two of the goals were from defenders pinching on the boards and keeping the play alive in the zone, and then getting the opportunity for their forwards to cash in. So um, if you're the Bruins, you got to be able to one clear the puck, two uh, get production from your first line, and now the third part is. Um, get production from whoever is going in there for Chara, because I don't think he's going to be playing tomorrow. Uh, broken jaws have been the report. They're already out another defender in Matt Grizzly, so they, you know, they're down two of their top defenders, and, and they need a really big performance from um, all their other players tomorrow. But I still think they get it done. They're at home. They played well at home. St. Louis is a physical team. They're going to come after you, but, you know, hockey is one of those games where I think the adjustment from game to game really do play a big part, and I think the Bruins make the adjustments and they take game five tomorrow. Talking to Danny Flecky here on teeing it up. Uh, also, Connor Clifton can step up in a big spot here too on, on that defense for Boston, uh, Quinnipiac alum. All right, you saw a baseball article today that I did not see about the All-Star game, so have at it because I don't know what you're talking about. So, so, so educate me. Yeah, it was just like a, uh, an article about like some early All Stars for for the MLB in both division, both leagues, and it was just an interesting article to read. You know, some players this year that have had some really good years that maybe we're not paying attention to. Like, you know, Cody Bellinger out in LA is raking right now. He's got 23, 24 home runs. Um, he's having a great year. Guys like Josh Bell too in Pittsburgh is having a great year. Uh, you know, then you have like your your standard players like you know Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, etc. So it's just an interesting article to read some players out there that aren't household names that are having some really good years for their team. You know what I think is interesting about um, Cody Bellinger is that I think for a while he got lost, uh, kind of in our um, mental conscience because of Clayton Kershaw, but because Clayton Kershaw is not the same pitcher that he once was. Um, more, more, more people are focusing on that offense, and obviously Bellinger is a huge part of the, of the Dodgers, um, and and what they've been able to do in, in that division to take the lead that they have in that division. Yeah, and he was a player too that was kind of misplaced for a little bit. He came up as a first baseman, was playing first base, and then they uh, brought up that Max Muncy guy last year to take over first base, and was moving Bellinger all over in the outfield. I think right now he's playing right field for them, so 
play a little third base too. But, you know, for him to have the type of season he's having is really remarkable because he was, uh, you know, I know in baseball when you're a player and you don't know necessarily your role or where you're going to be playing um, and positional changes, et cetera, that, that it can mess with your, your hitting. And he has been able to take that in stride and is probably the leading contender right now for the NL MVP. Um, where do you stand right now with this Yankee team? The Dallas Keiko move, uh, not movies, rumors. <laughs> ah, that's what he must have done this time off. He must have started in some movies, uh, Danny. Uh, the Dallas Keiko rumors are running rampant, but this Yankee team has just trudged on and trudged on and trudged on and gotten contributions. And every time we do one of these, Every time we talk about what the Yankees have been able to do and, and why they've been able to stay successful. And you look at them right now, and they take two or three from Boston, and they're 38-21. and 21. They have a two-and-a-half game lead in the East on the Rays, seven-and-a-half on the Red Sox, and they're 17 games over 500 without an all-star team that's on the I.L., yeah, I think Keiko would be a great addition for them in the pitching staff. You know, they need, you know, as I, you and I talked about last uh, week, they need that guy that's going to be like that eating eater at the bottom of the rotation that can give you six innings, you know, on a whim, that's going to keep the ball in the ballpark, that's going to has experience pitching in big games. And, you know, Keiko checked all that off. You know, he won the World Series with a, uh, you know, a great year in the year they won the World Series. He was good last year. For them, um, veteran guy, he knows what he's doing. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Um, I think he's a left-handed starter, which again you need in the playoffs. You know, you can't just throw out righties every single night. So he gives them that that I think edge that they're looking for. And again, I don't think they're going to make too many trades for the trade deadline. And if you're able to pick up this guy, not go back into your farm system, let that develop a little bit. Uh, get all the guys you have coming back. I think he's due back this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. They were saying yeah. that last yeah. week on the telecast. Yep. Um, you know, staying in one in for some uh, light hitting or whatever he was doing. And then, you know, Severino's going to probably be back after the All Star break. You know, those are trades in my mind. Like, those are trades because those guys come in and produce that all for this team this year. So, um, I, I condition like Keiko would be absolutely huge for them. I think he's exactly the type of addition that you need for that team. And that is uh, a high IQ pitcher who knows how to pitch in high leverage situations in a high leverage game and is going to go out there and keep your team in the ballgame. Um, final thing, um, which is something that I find fascinating. By the way, it's a ten and a half game lead um, now for the Dodgers in the NL West. I mean, they're just on top of things. The save celebrated its 50th birthday uh, either yesterday or the day before. Is the save an overrated stat? Now, mind you folks, we're both Yankee fans, so we come from the Mariano Rivera era of once the game got to the night, once, once the game got to the ninth, thank you, good night. Um, what's your thought on the save, especially in this I landscape? I think there's guys in baseball that are overrated, are saves and wins. Um, saves, it, it, they're all situational. You know, you evaluator if I'm looking at somebody and they have 20 wins to me it doesn't necessarily mean they're the you know they were the best pitcher that day or they deserved that win you know a, a lot of th different things go into getting a win as a pitcher you only have to go five starts I mean five innings 
um, if the league with the win and, and you have to have a good bullpen and, and, and all that other stuff, it's not really an indictment to me of like uh, that individual. I think as a pitcher, I look more at like quality starts. Um, you know, six innings, giving up three or less runs. Um, that to me is a, is a higher indicator of, of a solid starting pitcher rather than how many wins they're getting. I mean, look at the Grom last year. Best pitcher in baseball had what, like 10 wins? Yeah. Um, and I think there was like that that came out, you know, if the Mets scored these amount of runs in his start, he would have won 20 games. If the Mets scored these amount of runs in his start, he would have won 30 games. So he had a team behind him that just wasn't giving him run support for whatever reason, and he was, the, you know, the one that felt the negative side effect of that. But all of his other periphery numbers were great. His ERA, his whip, his quality starts, everything else like that. And I take the same thing into consideration for, for saves, you know. Uh, you come in, the bases are loaded, and you're up by four runs, you're going to get the save if you get that out. Even if you gave up two runs, you're going to get that. You know, it, to me, it's not really a stat that really that shows me how good a pitcher is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, for me, especially in this era, you've got to look deeper. I, I in this era... The of starters not going full length. The most important outs could be when the you know uh, meat of the, of of the lineup steps in there in the seventh inning. And yeah, it's all situation. Baseball is a very situational sport, so a lot of the stats are very situational. Yeah. Like as a starting pitcher, a quality start is pretty unarbitrary, right? You have to go six innings, and you have to get you have to allow three or less runs. Your your ERA has to be under four point five for that outing for it to be a quality start. To me, that's a better indicator up to like how well you pitched in that game compared to if you've gotten the win or not. Yeah. I am with you there, my friend. I am with you. Is there anything else you'd like to mention before we close up shop on this Teeing It Up? No, I think we have a great slate of games coming up. we got Game 3 tonight in the finals, Game Five tomorrow in the True. Danny Flecka, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up. No problem, man. Have a good night. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.